we're going to return to a very familiar passage of scripture, something I preached on before, but I see something different in it today. And so um, we'll try our best to um, plow it out. And also, I told you some time ago that we would at least have at least one stewardship message uh, a quarter. So we may not allow this one to be that message. You won't see it at first, but it'll pop up later. <laughs> Genesis 27. Genesis 27. <clears throat> Starting at verse 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And Rebekah heard Isaac speak to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spoke unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard your father speak unto Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless you before the Lord, uh, before the Lord, before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command you. Go now to the flock and fetch me from there two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father that he may eat and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Then verse 12, key verse, my father perhaps will feel me. Somebody say, feel me. My father perhaps will feel me, and I shall sing to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be your curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the ghosts upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done according as you asked. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel you, my son. Whether you be my very son Esau or not, somebody say, feel you. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, 
are you my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless you. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him a wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him. <laughs> and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be he who blesses you. The scripture continues, but I'll stop right there. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk about the God who fills us. The God who fills us. Can we say amen, somebody? You may be seated. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, God, we thank you so much for the blessing and for the beauty of this another day. Father, we thank you for your great, great goodness to all of us, Lord, for your mercies and for your grace. Thank you, Father, for last night's rest and peace and safety and comfort and this morning's awakening in the same. And, Lord, for traveling mercies from point A to point B, whether locally, Lord God, nationally or internationally. So many of us have been traveling here and there. We want to say thank you for traveling mercies in the name of Jesus. And, Father, now that we've come, Lord God, to share your word, we ask, oh, God, that you will please think through my mind one more time. Stir up your anointing on the inside of me and let it flow out unto your people that they might be enriched, encouraged, empowered, equipped, oh God, blessed abundantly to go forth and be all that you've created, purpose, and designed us to be, Father, for such a time as this. Father, we also pray this morning, God, for our country, the heat wave that seems to be scouring all over the place. We pray for some reprieve in the name of Jesus. Send the rain, God. Send the rain. Cause the heat wave to subside, oh Lord God. And, and we pray, God, that the air conditioning will not fail for your glory and for our good. And then, God, we pray that you'll send the rain, oh God, over in the western part of our country where the fires are just burning out of control. People are literally running for their lives. Homes are being destroyed. Businesses are being destroyed. God, we implore and ask for your mercy in the name of Jesus. Cause the skies to weep like they've never wept before and douse the fires, oh God. Be gracious and kind and merciful to your people in that area in the name of Jesus. And Father, we just want to thank you for one more time being so good, so merciful and so kind. So bless our time today, Lord, and all that we shall share. Save souls today. Restore backsliders and add to your church, Father as you see fit. And Lord, we'll be so very quick to give your name the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and we give thanks. Amen. Amen, amen. The God who fills us. Beloved, in recent years, many young people adopted a phrase that was often used in the middle of their conversations, <laughs> which was, you feel me? I'm going to be honest, I got sick and tired of that. Why, you, why every two sentences you got to say, you feel me? 
which meant, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Well, my question today, Reverend Spelman, is have you ever, while talking to young people or to adults, heard the phrase or question, can you feel me? Well, if you have not heard it, it's an urban expression used by some people that means, do you understand what I just said? Beloved, it is a well-known fact that many people talk, but they are not understood and many people hear what is spoken, but for some reason, Deaconess Peters or other, they do not understand. So then to feel, in quotations, something means to fully and clearly understand a situation or circumstance. The phrase, do you feel me, is used loosely in the city, urban community, but clearly its meaning is universal Understanding is sought, but often it's not received. As a matter of fact, Deacon Peters, the African-American community, among other communities of color, have been victims of social deceptions and misunderstandings for generations. We've had extreme difficulty getting people to understand our frustrations and socioeconomic situations to understand extreme poverty, and to understand the impact of decades of neglect on the family, moral values, and each succeeding generation of youth. Yes, psychologists and social scientists have studied our communities for years. And Michelle, it seems that only a few have been able to really feel the impact of a declining work ethic the creation of ghettos, the acceptance of poor education, and the sad but growing gang violence in our communities. As a result, Minister Newman, of being misunderstood, we ask our government, do you feel me? Can you feel what it's like, government, to have laws that disproportionately penalize the activities of one race over another? Do you understand, Mr. Government, that there is something seriously wrong with the penalty for powder cocaine used by whites being less than the same penalty for crack cocaine used by blacks? Those of us who see and feel the inequities and the disparities can feel the anger because as wrong as it is, we see a black man rob a store for $200 and it's wrong and get a 20-year prison sentence. <clears throat> but a white-collar criminals corporation leaders only pay a fine, even though they stole millions. Hello, somebody. Are you hearing me? Watch this. Can you feel me? <laughs> we ask the educational system, do you feel me? Those who can understand how our public school system has failed urban youth graduating or failing to graduate millions who cannot functionally read, write, or engage in critical thinking. Can you feel the frustration of teachers and students with a system that focuses on test scores rather than human intellect or practical knowledge? Beloved, generally speaking, we have been exposed to so much violence 
guns, knives, poison, murder, and deception in our families, amen, and communities that many of us have become deaf, blind, and desensitized and have lost our ability to feel anything. What are you getting at, Pastor? Well, listen, those of us who do not take the time to truly, to truly parent, teach, train, and discipline and counsel our children, but instead we physically beat our children to the ground at home, may not understand that those same children just may grow up feeling that they must beat down anyone or respond viciously and violently when they differ with anyone in their school or community. Where did you get that violence from? My home. Hello, somebody. So, beloved, we must be careful for violence begets violence. Some of us don't believe that, but it's true. Violence begets violence. And in our nation, we see it on TV, on the internet, in movies, video games, on the street, and nearly everywhere we go. No wonder we have become a nation of guns gone wild. We see it so much that deception and violence have become a normal and acceptable response for so many. And sadly, Minister Gordon, we have generally become deaf, blind, and desensitized to the impact that our words, anger, and actions have on other people, and especially our children. What are you saying, Pastor? Some of us have lost our ability to feel. Beloved, there is a difference between discerning feelings and understanding. Understanding deals with the combination of faith and facts. A doctor may give a patient a diagnosis about a sickness. Faith combined with that diagnosis may lead to an understanding. A feeling deaconess walker isn't based on fact, just a gut response. Faith is, a, is not a gut response. I feel it in my gut. Listen, don't trust your gut. Learn how to trust God. <clears throat> Faith is not a gut response. It is based on the unseen trust in God and his reliable, trustworthy, eternal, and unchanging word. Those who relate to factual circumstances outside the arena of faith usually respond with feelings alone. Sad to say, Michelle, but feelings about another race are often based on assumptions, not proven factual truths. Pastor, what are you scratching at? Feelings about the capabilities of one sex or another are often based on assumptions and not proven factual truths. Feelings of distrust between partners in a relationship are often based on assumptions and hunches and, and not proven factual truths. I just got a hunch he might be cheating. To truly feel there has to be a level of sensitivity empathy and a willingness or a walking a mile in another person's shoes to truly feel you cannot make assumptions about me you can't assume just because I'm black and I got a doctorate degree that somebody gave it to me and I didn't earn it hello somebody to truly feel you can't assume that because I live in low income area, area then I'm ignorant and not well read 
To truly feel, you can't assume that because I have a name associated with the black community that I'm in the ghetto. To truly feel, you cannot assume that because I wear weave in my hair that I also steal and use drugs. Newsflash, rich and poor white women wear weave too. To truly feel you can assume just by looking at me that there's only a baby daddy in my life and not a husband. To truly feel you can assume that it's okay to stop my Mercedes or Escalade, tase or shoot me because I fit the profile. To truly feel or understand me, we must genuinely draw near to experience the situation and circumstance of another person's life. Beloved, there are times when the world tries to feel our life situation, but it is often deceived because it is blind to all of the deceptions, prejudices, biases, and preconceived ideas. Thankfully, Deacon Bradley, we serve a God, hallelujah, who's not distant from us. He hears us. He knows us. He understands us. Peep this. He feels us. <laughs> the late Lucy Campbell wrote lyrics to a song that seems to answer the question, does God feel me? Does God understand me? She wrote, if when you give the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior has come, be not dismayed when men don't believe you. He will understand and say, well done. Beloved, as Christians, we are pleased to know that God sits high and looks low and knows our situation and circumstances. Pastor, what are you saying? He knows about the pain that we feel. He knows about the agony we go through. He knows about the rejection we carry. He knows about the racial profiling that we endure from time to time. He knows about the burdens that we bear. And the good news is that he fills us and he gives us his love, his mercy, and grace to carry us from day to day despite whatever mess we have to go through. Is there anybody here this morning who's truly grateful for the grace of God that keeps us in the midst of our frustrations, for the power of God that strengthens us in the midst of our weakness for the strength of God that lifts us when we feel knocked down time and time again for the favor of God it might not be fair that helps us when it seems that there is no help available for the victory of God Decamore, that allows us to be victorious even when it looks like we've been defeated ah beloved if you are eternally grateful for his grace his power his strength his favor his victory somebody clap your hands and give and glory in this place. Well, beloved, as we come quicker to our text today, we find Artemis that it focuses on how a mother's cunning and deceptive action created a problem between two twin brothers for decades. <laughs> of, of Rebecca's two sons, Esau and Jacob, Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob. That's right. And Deaconess Cooper, she desired to transfer the father's blessing of, of an inheritance to her favorite son. So the day came when she disguised her motives 
and taught her son, stay with me, and taught her son. <laughs> Hello, somebody. See, you got to be careful what you say to your children. You got to be careful how we live in front of our children. Whether we know it or not, whatever we do in front of our children, holler at your neighbor and say, it's a teaching moment. That's right. Grandchildren too. So the day came, Deacon Moore, when she disguised her motives and taught her son, Iris, to be deceptive, to achieve her desired end. Beloved, throughout the life of Jacob, the favorite son, he seemed immune to feeling any remorse about deceptive acts he made to succeed as if the end justified the means. The deception he employed to trick his brother Esau out of his birthright had begun the process that continued for over two decades. Rebecca assumed the responsibility for dulling and desensitizing his feelings towards that sin of deception. It's a white lie, you know, it don't really matter. She responds to Jacob's fears of bringing a curse on himself by telling him that she would take it upon herself any curse that may result from his actions of deceiving his old, aged, and blind father. Well, now, as this chapter demonstrates, a blessing is not transferable. How many of you know you can't take somebody else's blessing or take somebody else's anointing? God's got enough to go around, baby. So, uh-huh, and neither is the pronouncement of a curse. But in this case, Rebecca is most likely referring to the consequences of the curse rather than the curse itself, since only God himself can enforce a curse. This acknowledgement that she has forced Jacob to deceive his father would target her if a curse was to result. That's what she meant. Well, now, since his cunning and decept deceptive mother took the blame for his first act of deception, Jacob could ease his mind and conscience by blaming his mother's influence for his actions. But to deceive his father, he carried out her instructions. Now Deacon Dixon, he gathered the items needed for the deception. He got the kids, the goats. Rebecca turned them into venison, possibly spiced with salt, onions, garlic, and lemon juice. And it was easily passed off on an old blind man with dull senses as game. Next, she strategically places pieces of goat skin on his hands and neck. Uh-huh. Its soft, silken hair resembled that on the cheek of a young man. Third, she took the long white robe the vestment of the firstborn, which was earlier given from his father to Esau and kept in a chest among fragrant herbs and perfumed flowers used much in the East to keep away moths. Ah, beloved, the deception, the lie, the distortion of the truth was all set. The elaborate scheme Rebecca devised was meant to deceive Isaac's sense of feel, deceive his sense of feel and taste. He couldn't see but she was aiming for the other senses. I imagine, Michelle, she put Esau's clothes upon Jacob, his best clothes that he would have put on in a token of joy and respect to his father when he was to receive the father's blessing. 
The end result, Deacon Moab, of this deception was Jacob's inability to feel any remorse for his sin or the pain he brought upon others. His feeling was not restored until one night he wrestled with God and was given the ability to feel again. We've already preached that message, so we're not going there. Here is nugget number one. Parents, when we lie, cheat, and deceive, such sins have the potential to impact our children for years or generations to come. It's quiet, but it's true. Beloved, Jacob and Esau are what happens when parents and the general community encourage lying, scheming, and deception. Beloved, many families are struggling today because of the neglect or misdeeds of the previous generations. When I was in St. Louis, we saw some unsightly stuff downtown. I mean, the lady probably shouldn't even have, should not have even had on clothes. And the people walking with me and said, said, Pastor, I just heard a message that told us that um, <clears throat> what one generation tolerates, the next generation accepts, and then the next generation celebrates it. It only takes a couple of generations for stuff to become celebrated. If we tolerate it over here, we accept it next year, and then the next year we what? Celebrate it. Beloved, Rebecca's wicked, sinful, cunning, and deceitful actions concerning her sons had a serious impact on them for years to come. It was not a curse of God, but a natural outcome of a sinful, wrong, wicked, deceptive, and greedy lie. Beloved, sad to say, but we have many parents who are totally insensitive to how their actions impact their children. Now hear me, we got some great parents, don't we? Parents who have lived godly lives before their children, and we'll get to that. But I'm trying to help somebody to, to realize that watch your actions, particularly around your children. Because it's simply this, a decision to pursue a life of sin, mama or daddy, often teaches and gives our children the license and permission to do the same. A decision to pursue a life of drinking and drugging often gives license and permission teaching our children you can do the same. A decision to pursue a life of gambling, pick one, pick two, pick three, often teaches and gives our children the license and permission to what? Do the same. Always oh, quiet, but I believe it's good. A decision to pursue a life of shacking up. Woo, Jesus. Pastor, that's old school. Often teaches and gives our children the license and permission to do the same. And when we say something to them, they turn right around and say, but mama, you did it. Hello, somebody. A decision to pursue a life of smoking weed often teaches and gives our children the license and permission to do the same. A decision to pursue a life of anger and violence, and that's how you handle your stuff, gives our teaches and gives our children the license and permission 
to do the same. Beloved, whether we know it or not, but violent actions in our homes become teaching moments with our children to the extent that many of them just might become violent as well. Beloved, is it possible that some children are exposed to vulgar language, lewd conversations, drinking, gambling, porn, and even incest first in the home? If so, then each family should know that this lifestyle will more than likely be seen and duplicated in the families of their children and possibly their grandchildren. So when we have the days when we uh, anoint the children and dedicate the children, you'll hear me talking to the parents, live a life of holiness before them. Because whether you're not or not, they're watching, they're looking, and they're listening. Parents who steal or cheat by profession or live lawless lives may curse their generations to follow suit. Just as Rebecca's initial act of breaking the rules eventually taught her sons to be defiant, deceptive, and dangerous. I bet she didn't even think about the consequences of her actions. She just wanted what she wanted. And whether we know it or not, but the same happens to us all. Beloved, but there is some good news. Help me, somebody. On the other side of this tip, if sinfulness is taught to a generation and it is repeated, it is also true that godliness, godliness, holiness, holiness, righteousness, righteousness can be passed from one generation to the next as well. I remember having a father-to-son talk with my son, Josiah. I said, look, you're grown and you can do whatever you want to do. But I do not condone you shacking up with nobody. Hello, somebody. I never shacked up with your mother. I married her. If it's got to get that serious, put a ring on it. You don't want her to go home at night? Lock it down. But you were not raised that way. Oh, Lord. Now, I can stand flat-footed and speak to him man-to-man because I lived the life before him. You never heard me cuss your mama. You never heard me cuss you. You never heard me tell me drink beer, liquor, alcohol. You never saw it. So I can speak to you because I got a witness, and you know this. You remember how we raised you with devotions, with the Bible, with the word, with prayer, with intercession. Oh, come on, man. You know this. Beloved, but there is some good news. Righteousness can be passed on. And here's the deal. Put the seed in them and let God deal with the rest. If children experience families of love, faith, peace, joy, harmony, security, happiness, a good work ethic, then they are likely to pass this along to others. It might not happen right away, but I promise you what you put in them is still there. Families are challenged to find ways to reduce tension and encourage better relationships. And because we strive to leave godly lives in the presence of our children, 
we can say like Joshua, as for me and my house, somebody help me, we will serve the Lord. So if mom and daddy need to have some cross words, need to have an argument, amen, somebody, go into the, be- go into the bedroom, tell the kids, go outside, or whatever the case may be, but don't fuss and fight in front of them. Because when that happens, oh baby, class is in session. We don't like it, but it's true. And watch this. Come on, here comes the grace. If we've done it, God is a forgiving God. Can I get any help in here? God is a forgiving God. Now get number two. Parents, regardless of what we have done or where we may be in life, the good news is that our Heavenly Father feels us. Amen, somebody. He feels us. Beloved, Jacob worried that the deception his mother encouraged him to undertake would not be successful because he said, my father will feel me. I understand what you're asking me to do, but when I get in there, my daddy going to feel me. Hello, somebody. He acknowledged Dickinus McCray that his father knew him well and even without sight would know him. Every parent should be able to feel the hurts and pains of a frustrated child and know that child well enough to know how they respond to frustration. An angry child who lashes out at the world is doing so because the world cannot feel him. We need to be able to feel his pain. And so, beloved, have we become so mentally, emotionally, and spiritually deaf and blind to what really matters in life until we can no longer feel the hurts, pains, and frustrations of our children? Can we feel the pain of the angry child who cannot read, who has lost all hope of ever achieving the American dream? How do we react or respond? Is there a proactive solution? I cannot tell you when I was a prison chaplain how many men I encountered in prison who could not read. Can we feel the pain of the child? Watch this, I'm going to get real transparent. There are people in our church who can't read. Hello, and you know what? We ought to do something about that. I know it's embarrassing, but we ought to do something about that. Can we feel the pain of the child who lashes out at everyone and knows no other way to respond but hits and fights back with anger, violence, and hurtful words? Can we feel the pain of the man who sees no reason to work? For what? Because he is hopelessly lost to mounting and building child support that will burden him for the rest of his life. Can we understand the underlying economic reasons for the senseless violence and killing in our neighborhood? Usually when you trace it all the way back, somebody shot him, shot her, shot him. It always goes right back to economic situation. Somebody owes somebody some money. Can we understand the underlying economic reasons for this? Can we feel what they are going through? Jesus said, if you can feel me, If you love me, if you really know where I'm coming from, then you ought to feed, take care of my sheep. Beloved, we are reminded that in spite of the insensitivity 
of our world to the troubles and frustrations of our young people. As believers, Helen, we should try hard to hear Jacob's words, my father will fill me. Beloved, our heavenly father knows about our frustrations and situations. Reverend Spellman, he knows about our irritations and limitations. He knows about our trepidations and consternations. He knows about our inequities and complexities. He knows about all this stuff and he'll give us the wisdom to handle it. The songwriter said it best. He knows just how much we can bear. Now get number three. Yes, our Heavenly Father fills us. But here comes the juice. But the real question is, do we feel our Heavenly Father? Hello, somebody. If it ain't hot, it's about to get hotter now. Beloved, let's be brutally honest. We really feel bad when someone lets us down, fails to keep their word, rejects our help and support, or they come off as being seriously ungrateful, as though they are entitled to our help and assistance. Come on, somebody. And since we know what that feels like, Dickness Walker, we should have some idea how God feels when he has loved us, provided for us, blessed us, favored us, protected us, and even given his only begotten son for us, only to learn that despite his love and faithfulness to us, we cheat on him in a downright disrespectful to his word. And I'm not talking about sinners. I'm talking about the saints. And it's not that we fail to support his work through the generous and cheerful giving of our tithes and offerings. But sometimes we downright refuse to do so simply because supporting the work of the Lord, stay with me, quiet as a mouse but I'm good simply because supporting the work of the Lord and the house of God is not our priority or it's not a high value we don't support the house of God to keep the lights on but I promise you your lights are on in your house we don't support the house of God to keep the air nice and cool but I promise you in this heat it's nice and cool in your house we don't support the house of God to keep the church clean and functioning, but I promise you, we do what we have to do to keep our house clean and functioning. Somebody ought to say amen up in here. <laughs> Beloved, may I remind you that God has made it known in his holy word that he is Jehovah Jireh, but he's also a jealous God. He's Jehovah Rapha, but he's also a jealous God. He's Jehovah Shalom, but he's also a jealous God. He's Jehovah Sikhanu, but he's also a jealous God. He's Jehovah El Shaddai, the almighty God. But he's also what? A jealous God. And on that note, Dickon Dixon, he is not happy when the people he loves fail or refuses to return his love to him. Watch this. I love you, but you won't love me back. Oh, Jesus. I bless you, but I can't get you to bless me back. 
I look out for you, but I can't get you to look out for me back. I give you not enough, but more than enough. I give you abundantly above all that you can even ask or think, but I can't even get 10%. Oh, Pastor Murphy, you preaching today. Ain't nobody standing up and hollering, preach, Pastor, but you giving it up today. You need to pat yourself on the back. And on that note, Minister Gordon, he's not happy when the people he loved watches over night after night, protects day after day, sustains year after year, opens doors that no man can shut, shut doors that no man can open, and we refuse to return his love to him. And just which is it, Mount Gilead? Is it failure? Is it refusal? Or is it both? Sad to say, but when we act without faith toward God, it elicits an unpleasant response from the Lord. Ask God how he feels, and we can see that the immoral sex lives and general loose living of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah caused him to rain down fire and brimstone. We don't need that. In Genesis, when the sins of the world began to accumulate to epidemic proportions, he sent a flood. Hello, somebody. We don't need that. When Ahab and Jezebel brought sin to the entire nation, God shut up the heavens, shut up the skies, and there was no rain, no rain, no rain for three and a half years. Holler at your neighbor and say, we don't need that. And after each response, God sent the prophets, God sent the preachers who seemed to say, God wants to know if you get the point, can you feel him? Hello, somebody. Likewise, when God feels good about our actions, our faith, and loyalty, he showers us with blessings and favor. He opens the windows of heaven that we will not have room enough to receive. He told the prophet Malachi, come here, man, prove me, test me, examine me, try me, meaning that he could count on God to keep his word and open up the windows of heaven and give the obedient more than they could ever imagine. Holly, your neighbor said, I'm trying to get all that. Beloved, when we feel God, we know that we must be truthful because unlike blind old Isaac, God can detect any deceit. Isaac's ability to discern was limited to his smell, hearing, and touch. However, God has no limitations. He can immediately sense, discern, see and detect when we are not truthful with him. He knows we're lying when we call 90% a tithe, I mean uh, 9% a tithe. When we are deceitful and unfaithful, watch this, God feels it. When we are wicked and carnal, God feels it. When we are dishonest and fraudulent, God feels it. When we are sneaky, cunning, and crafty, God feels it. When we are cunning and conniving, God feels it. However, when we are honest, truthful, faithful, and loyal, my God, he also feels that. He feels our faith and he responds accordingly. Let me give you the last one and get you out of here so you can breathe. 
Some folk holding their breath right now. Go ahead and breathe, y'all. Go ahead and breathe. Nugget number four. Here we go. When we feel our heavenly father, the favor and blessing of his love is out of this world. Can anybody holler amen? amen. Reverend Knight, it's good to know that in spite of all of our shortcomings, that our heavenly father still loves us. Somebody ought to clap your hands right there. He still loves us. The love of God doesn't feel, doesn't feel good. It feels better than good. Beloved, Jacob knew that his father would feel him and know his identity. He was not worried about his inheritance because he trusted God to make a way. We should be equally willing to trust God to make ways for us. We ain't got to cheat nobody. Don't have to lie to nobody. Don't have to fudge nothing on nobody. Am I right about it? At the end of the day, we need to do what? Trust God. Beloved, when we learn to trust God completely and give him <clears throat> all of our cares and concerns, the joy we'll feel will be indescribable. When we walk with God and share our life experiences with him, the peace we feel will be undeniable. That's why the songwriter declared, I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear ringing in my ear, the son of God discloses. Come on and help me somebody. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known beloved I submit to you as we close this message it feels good to know that God feels and understands me <laughs> it feels good to know that God feels my anguish and my despair it feels good to know that God feels my frustration from time to time. Deborah, it feels good to know that God knows how I feel and he's working things out for my good and for his glory. It feels good to know that even though we have often pitched our tents in the wrong places, God is a forgiving God. Do I have a witness in here? It feels good to know that even though we have often failed to give God the proper amount of study, the proper amount of prayer, God is ever so merciful to wake us up again the next day and say, let me try you again. It feels good to know that he looks beyond all of our faults and constantly sees and meets every one of our needs. Beloved, I don't know about you, but it feels good to know that the loving kindness of God remains the same. It feels good to know that with God on our side, there's no battle we can face that will stop us. There's no mountain that would be too hard for us to climb. There's no valley that's 
that's too deep for us to travel through. There's no night that's too dark that God won't help us get to the other side. There's no crisis that God cannot control. There's no storm so strong that God cannot speak peace to it. There's no enemy so frightening that God cannot defeat it. It feels good to know that when I failed, he'll turn my failure into success. It feels good to know that when I'm weak, he'll turn my weakness into strength. It feels good to know that when I've got questions, my God has the answers. It feels good to know when I'm frustrated, he'll give me hope. It still feels good to know that even if I mess up, he knows how to clean it up. His love, his grace, his mercy shall not depart from my life. Is there anybody here that's glad today that the mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God, he promised I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you're glad today that these things will not depart from your life, come on and give him glory. Come on and give him honor. Come on and give him praise. Somebody holler, yes! What a mighty God we serve. The God who fills us. Holler at your neighbor and say, can you feel me? <laughs> I'm so glad that God fills me. And peep this, he understands me. Anybody glad about that today? We haven't crossed every T. Can I, am I right about it? We haven't dotted every I. But it's so good when God pulls up beside us and says, I got you. I got you. I see you're struggling, but I got you. I see you hanging in there, but I got you. I got you. Yesterday is over. Today is a new day. I got you. The doors of the church are open. Yes. 